Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. This is episode 314, BGG Hotness for February 2021. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a special episode, but we also want to send a shout out to our new Patreon backer, Adam. Adam, my friend, you rock. All right, everyone, we are back here with a great episode for you. Again, we are getting down the hotness that's happening on BGG. We are serving it up to you with Anthony's take on the latest and greatest in board gaming. So we'll be talking about that on our feature review. But stick with us because we have so much for you this week. Anthony, how are you doing this week, my friend? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. It's it's a good. We're getting close to spring, and I can tell because it started to rain today, and it's been snowing for like four weeks. So, in a normal year, that would be like, oh, great. This year, it's just, you know, at least it's not as cold. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think anytime you can get anything, at least partially decent, as far as weather is concerned, that's a good thing. It's global warming is happening, people. If you haven't played CO2 yet, you should, because it's a real thing. So all these strangeness things are happening. And again, we're so glad that you joined us here this week. In fact, it's my birthday! Hey! Woo, woo, woo. 
And we're so glad to have you here with us this week. And I'm so glad to be doing the episode with each and every one of you. You guys make this podcast and my birthday great. So thank you for listening and hope that you enjoy the rest of the episode. Anthony, let's get on to the rest of the episode because there's so much going on with us. And of course, so much going on with our listeners. And especially when this podcast comes out on Wednesday, we want to let them know about another great thing that we're doing for them this week. Yeah, yeah. Last week we announced episode... 23 uh res arcana it got postponed this week episode 23 res arcana vga live uh we had we had some like unexpected scheduling hiccups that uh forced us to postpone it but we're still gonna do it we're still gonna play through res arcana it's like the number two hotness game on board game arena right now and if you have not joined us before on bga live we play through um one of their featured games every week Our, our crew of gamers joins us and and chris and i we go through the game, we talk through it, we teach you how to play, we discuss anything related to it. Um, that's 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Twitch and BoardGameArena.com every Wednesday. So this week, Res Arcana. All right, so be sure to join us for that episode. Obviously, when this pops up later that evening, depending on where you are in the world, that episode will be up and waiting for you live on BGA Live. So definitely join us then. So, Anthony, obviously there's so much more going on with us, going on with board gaming industry, but let's talk about what's most important, our listeners. What's our question of the week? All right, yeah, question of the week this week. What is a game you regret not going in on when it was widely available or on Kickstarter? Oh, oh no. <laughs> we all have that game where like, gosh, I wish I bought this when I could have and now it's crazy expensive or impossible to find. Brian mentions Cthulhu Death May Die. It was mm-hmm. just after the hate campaign and various other mini heavy Kickstarters that sure. didn't interest him. So he was just kind of zoned it out. Um, he did eventually get an auction at his local store, but obviously it cost Ooh. a little bit. Andre mentioned stuffed fables. He was Good. constantly afraid it would be too hard to find. And when finally decided to look for it, it was already sold out. So he's waiting for a reprint with the extra content and just hoping it pops back up. The legendary box for Scythe is his second choice on that list. Those are hard to find, yeah. Chris mentions he regrets not backing Scythe on Kickstarter. So uh, he didn't think it would go over, over very well and be a little too heavy for his game group. But then after retail release, he picked it up anyways. And now it's one of his group's favorite games. So he has spent several years tracking down and getting all the extra promos, which are mostly those, those encounter cards, but just getting the stuff you couldn't get post Kickstarter just to have all this stuff. And then Drew, uh, he mentions my answer for this, which is War of the Ring Anniversary Edition. I want this so bad. And, you know, at the time they released it, the four or $500 was way too much. I was way out of my price range. But now if you want a copy of this, it's like two to $3,000. And I could probably figure out a way to make four or $500 work if I just didn't buy anything else for a few months. But they're not going to reprint it. So I'm just like, (laughs) <laughs> i can't get this now yeah i think the super original war of the ring it wasn't a kickstarter but way back when i mean i think that's the most grail game of grail games and that's certainly something that's exploded in value because there was a limited number that was out there as you mentioned also the the revised version of the war of the ring okay definitely i guess on kickstarter mainly i guess kingdom death monster just because it's nearly impossible to collect at this point. We're talking about pieces that are going for hundreds, just for a miniature, hundreds of dollars, if not thousands of dollars in some cases. And 
there's just so much of it. It's almost impossible to collect if you didn't back the Kickstarter. And I, I guess beyond that, maybe on the, a little bit of the smaller side, I didn't back the brass reprint with the iron clay tokens. And I kind of disappointed and upset about that because I can't find that version of it out there. I, I, there's actually a lot of Kickstarters. I don't know how long people want to listen to me bemoan the Kickstarters that I did not back because there's plenty, plenty of those. Mostly they're miniature based because always the miniature based when they go onto the secondary market are crazy, incredibly expensive. Nowadays, it seems like more and more these days, the Kickstarter companies are not even saying that anything's Kickstarter exclusive. They're not even going there. They're just like, we saw what Simon did. They made a billion dollars. But then after the fact, people got really annoyed when they just went ahead and sold the stuff anyway. So right now, it seems like most games are going to a secondary market, with the exception of every once in a while, there's a game that has somewhat of a collector's addition to it that it's very difficult to track down. So yeah, there's plenty. I could do a whole podcast on all the ones that I wish I did back at the moment. But nonetheless, I, I guess especially now that there's all the super deluxe versions of it, uh, Suburbia is amazing. I guess Castles I didn't back is also amazing. So I, I think we're going to see a lot more games come out to the market that for whatever reasons, and there will be many reasons, we will not be backing all of the reasons and all the games. But... You know, nonetheless, you always do want them in part of your collection. So, no, great question there. There's just way too many to talk about. <laughs> I know. Maybe we need another episode with a top 10 because yeah, oh, I, no. I didn't even look at Kickstarter. I just knew for me it was War of the Ring. And I was like, great, I'm done. Sure. I don't need to look at the rest of these. Uh, yeah, no. there's a lot. <laughs> there's certainly a lot out there. And again, I mean, I mean, that's the greatness of Kickstarter, too. Again, one of the other things we could talk about is like people bought a lot of the games, as you mentioned on that list on the secondary market or at retail, I'm sure a lot of people wish they could have got Gloomhaven, the first edition, which was what, 85 bucks or something? Yep. And that and seemed super expensive at the time. Yeah, but because th- that was, what, five years ago? Yeah, and you, not only was it only, it was $85, you could have gotten a version for, I think, $65 with the standees. They don't even do that anymore. You can't get a standee version of that game. It was just, and it's crazy the amount of stuff you got in that box for 65 bucks. It was crazy. <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of good games on Kickstarter. Obviously stick with us because we always cover the hottest Kickstarters out there. And of course, like always, we'll let you know if you should be backing them so that you don't regret it later on. All right, Anthony. So that's what's going on with our question of the week. If you would like to join Anthony and I on the question of the week, please do so on all of our social media accounts. I don't think we have to tell them to you, but mostly most people do respond on Facebook and Twitter. So please respond on Facebook and Twitter so that we can respond back to you. But of course, BoardGamersAnonymous.com is the website for the most board gaming that you're going to find outside BGG. So check with us there because there's always new content coming out there, not to mention what we're doing on Twitch these days. All right, Anthony, so that's what's going on with us. That's what's going on with our listeners. Let's get into the games that we want to hit the table. Let's see what we eventually do back. So what do you have up for us this week? <laughs> All right. So I have the third in the Euro City Trilogy from Braincraft Ooh. Games. Uh, this is the first game is already out. It's Ragusa. Um, this is actually one of my favorite like quick Euro games from the last few years. It's by a designer you like, uh, Fabio Lopiano, who did um, oh, yeah. and most recently uh, Merv. The Heart of the Silk Road. 
And this game was great. It was quick. It was accessible. It takes like an hour-ish to play, but there's a lot of depth to it. I really enjoy this quite a bit. The second in the trilogy, Venice, has not yet been released. It was on Kickstarter last year, so it should be shipping sometime soon. It was designed by Andre Novak. And that one is a pick up and deliver game, which again falls into the quick one hour ish, but meaty uh, strategy type of game, right? The new one, Florence, has recently been announced. It will be on Kickstarter at some point in the future, uh, probably this spring after they ship Venice, which I think is shipping here this month or next month. Mm-hmm. And this one is designed by uh, another first-time designer, or not first-time, but early designer, Dean Morris, who did Pacific Rails. And it is a area control game, um, whereas the first one is like a root lane type of thing. The second one was pick up and deliver. This one's area control. And in it, you're going to be placing the different members of your family out into this big party that's being run by the Medici figureheads. So the people running Florence, essentially. And so every round it's going to change which parts of the city matter so area control but you got to think ahead in terms of like well this round these are the areas that i want to be in charge of but next round it's gonna be over here and the next round's gonna sure. here it's gonna move and rotate around over nine rounds too so it's not like you know it's not like uh, you know like a blood rage situation where you're like i want to be here this round and then here this round that is all <laughs> uh, you got to plan it out further right so the, the resource here is basically time. you got to be able to maneuver and manipulate and get things into place where they need to be with the limited amount of time that you have in the game. The game is quick and the limited number of turns you have. And it seems really cool. So I have, like I said, I have Ragusa. Venice is on the way. I'm excited for that one. And now Florence, which should be on Kickstarter sometime soon um, from BrainCrack Games. And because they have shipped that first one, I can say it's very pretty. The production was very solid. They shipped on time. So I'm feeling good about this one as well. Yeah, this is interesting that they're kind of coming out with a whole series, uh, same uh, aesthetic, same kind of just look and feel for the game. A lot of more mechanics kind of thrown in here. I do like the variable scoring areas where you really do have to figure out what's going to score the most points for you versus where is everyone going to jump into. I love that mechanic, that area control thing where like, you want to build up in a certain section before that section scores and it's very strategic and you kind of have to bluff your way in some cases or challenge some people so they don't just take the good spots. That's a really kind of wonderful push and push mechanic there. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm really interested in this. And again, they have a good reputation and Brain Crack Games is doing a great job. So yeah, this is not on Kickstarter yet. They're saying sometime in April maybe that this will be hitting out there. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm always up for a good area control game. So, um, yeah, this is great. And again, I think this is—I I think this is also one of the things for you too, right? I think that there's a solo mode from uh, David Turtsey in here. Yeah, yeah, he's—he's—he's going to be one of those designers. I feel like in a few years, who <laughs> overtakes Reiner Knizia for the most designs because he gets his name on the box for the solo mode for everything. That's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, he is designing the solo mode for this. He did design the solo mode for Venice. Um, Ragusa, I believe, was designed. Fabio Lopiano did the solo mode for his own game there. But all three of these do have solo modes. And I can say the Ragusa one is very good. Excellent. All right. Well, I'm going to talk to you about an expansion. Well, not so much of an expansion, but a card game version of a game that we all know and love that's been out there for quite some time. 
of course, we have to mention, you know already about it, it's the terraforming Mars card game called Ares Expedition. It's a new standalone game inspired by Terraforming Mars, or their spiritual successor, so to speak. And incredibly, beyond expectation, <laughs> and beyond just any possibility of just any dream you could ever have, there is over 200 beautifully illustrated cards. I mean, that's literally what they say in the advertisement. So you know that they've been listening because I had a serious problem with those cards. Those cards were not good. And I had to play that game a lot and I liked it a lot, but those cards just, clip art, no. So yes. So finally they have come up with a card version of Terraforming Mars. And Anthony, we recently did a, the card game of games. And this was an honorable mention because we knew this was coming out. So this is expected this is appreciated. Uh, before I jump into my full kind of review here, what are you thinking about this? I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm looking at it. Like when they first put it up, I was like, this is just Race for the Galaxy yes. with Terraforming Mars tracks. And that's not necessarily <laughs> yeah. a bad thing, but I have Terraforming Mars and I have Race for the Galaxy. So I'm still kind of in that in-between stage where I'm like, do I need sure. this? So... And I think a lot of people are in that stage too. It's like, is this, does this do enough new things from those two games to be worth picking up? And I have an answer for you. And the answer comes actually from the designer. And I'll tell you in a second where exactly they could find that because it's hilarious. Um, so, Arius Expedition here. So, as we mentioned, this is the Terraforming Mars, the card game, which is a little odd to say because Terraforming Mars is pretty much a card game, right? All it is is just huge amounts of cards, and then, like, the board is there, but honestly, you don't even have to do anything on the board. You could just play your cards, and God only knows we've had so many players that just do that. <laughs> so, and turn it into a four-hour game, but let's not get into that right now. So, Terraforming Mars, Areas Expedition, uh, the card game here, what we're looking at, as Anthony mentioned before, Race for the Galaxy, San Juan, this idea that there is going to be a number of different actions that you can take. And when you take that particular action, everyone will follow. So in fact, everyone will be taking actions at the same time. There are five possible actions that you could take. There is a development phase. Now, the development phase is just basically, it gives you an opportunity to build a green card. Now, green cards are basically the production cards in the game that they're going to give you different resources that you need. There's going to be a construction phase, which allows you to build the blue and red cards. If you ever played Terraforming Mars, you know the red cards are when then people come after you. And blue cards are always the ones that give you an action to be played later in the game. Then, of course, there's the action phase, the third phase. Now, we already mentioned the blue cards. The blue cards are the ones that let you do a thing. So here, you get to do the thing if you have a blue card that's available there's a production action that lets you produce the resources based upon your different tracks, where they're located. And then, of course, a research phase, which allows you to draw cards. So a couple of those opportunities are a little turned upside down, you know, like in comparison to like Roll for the Galaxy or Race for the Galaxy. But nonetheless, as Anthony mentioned, it's primarily the same kind of mechanics here. There is still a game board. So again, the fact they're calling it the card game when it's still primarily almost exactly like the actual game, I don't know. they could have called it Terraforming Mars, the 
condensed game or the mini game, but seems a little weird to call it the card game. But nonetheless, there are still tiles that you place on the board because you are building lakes, oceans, in fact, on the board. You are raising all the different oxygen and the heat track and everything like that. There is, of course, a solo mode because, of course, there needs to be a solo mode. And again, because they finally listen to people, these new production here does have the dual layered player board. So you don't have to worry about your stuff going all over the place, which was a huge problem for Terraforming Mars. You don't have to worry about that. That's here. The pieces look very nice. The player cubes look very nice. There's trays that actually hold all the cubes. That's great. There's a large number of cards that come into play here. And generally, that's pretty much it. If you play Terraforming Mars, you know it's about terraforming the planet by utilizing cards. And again, based on this same situation, really what you need to do is just have everything available so that when you turn something over to activate it, not only are you getting just the benefit, but you're also getting the bonus for yourself or if someone actually activates something else, then in that scenario, you're able to do that because you also have those things as well. So again, this is nothing unusually new, but this is nice to see in Terraforming Mars. Now, if you've never backed anything or you want to back some of the things you have not backed yet, there is a number of different options to do so. Now, unlike typical Kickstars where there's a pledge manager where you can back much later, this campaign, they do want your money up front. Now, they say that it's because... They want to be able to produce everything quickly and get it out to you. So nonetheless, if for some reason you did not back all the things before, you can back all the things now. And again, that might be something that might be interesting to you. There's also add-ons. The add-ons are kind of expensive. If you want card sleeves, 300 card sleeves for $30. So a little bit on the expensive side. There are metal cubes. There are neoprene mats. Again, just something generally you like. And then, of course, don't forget, there's the shipping cost because, of course, there's shipping costs. So, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities to be able to, you know, get the game in your hand as quickly as possible. And that's one of those things that, you know, sometimes it's not a bad idea to do because you do like the game so much. You want to be the first one about getting things on the table. And that's helpful. Now, Anthony and I are going to get copies of this game. It's going to happen. We bought the original game at full MSRP at the conventions when it first came out. It was like 70 bucks. We knew very little about it, but we backed it, got it home, and all that kind of stuff. So why back this? Now, again, we talked about all the great things that it has, but it is somewhat expensive. I mean, you know, depending on what level you back, I think it's somewhere in the $39 level, and then there's another $11, $12 based upon where you live shipping-wise. So it's going to be about a $50 game for a card game. In the FAQ, they ask about pricing, right? And it says, in most cases, you will be able to find this game without any of the promo items at a lower cost through another channel. This is especially true if you wait for an eventual sale. So if you want to get the absolute lowest price, then I would suggest you wait. I mean, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but that's kind of almost exactly what they said here on the Kickstarter, the FAQ. So... What they're saying to you is, of course, this game will be less expensive. You know, Terraforming Mars especially has been a, you know, a game that has done so well that it's not going anywhere. It's going to be in print. There's going to be an endless number of copies here. Stronghold Games 
has always overpriced their games. So typically, when they eventually get to retail markets and discounts, you will see a substantial discount when it gets to retail. So the question really is, do you want to pay, you know, and again, depends on the backer limit, but the game itself is $39. You'll probably be able to get it for, I don't know, $30 or $25, you know, at retail or maybe on sale. And then do you want to pay the extra, you know, $11? So let's say, do you want to pay 15 additional dollars to get the, I don't know, dozen or so promo cards? That you could probably back or buy later on for about five or some odd dollars. So that is the card game version of Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition, which will back on March 5th, 2021. So there is time, but not a lot of time if you do want to back the game. I'm going to get it at some point. I'm still not sure if I'm backing it through Kickstarter, but... You know, it's definitely something to take a look at because it's generally looks like it's got the bones to be a great game. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, man. I, it, it looks interesting. I like both the games it's inspired by. I do find it funny they're calling it the card game because when well, they're not calling it the card, <laughs> game, but you know that's what it is. And that's what it is. Yeah. It, it, I mean, come on, it's just a streamlined version of an existing game, but that could be cool. And I am I'm interested in playing it. But fifty bucks, like you said, that is a tough sell. So I'm on the fence. We shall see. But uh, also, as you said, someday it will it will be on my shelf, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think it. I think it'll be on everyone's shelf because I, I think, like you said, the race for the galaxy mechanic is always excellent. The artwork here and the cards looks phenomenal. I think the production is finally at a good spot. The price isn't bad, but again, if you have terraforming Mars, which I think most of us, if not all of us, do have then you're just buying it a second time in a smaller version. It's almost like, do you have Race for the Galaxy? Yeah. You want to buy Jump Drive? It's like, but it's kind of the same game. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what we're looking at here. It's it's primarily the same game. Now, on my thing, my point here, I haven't backed every expansion Terraform Mars. I have a couple. I've been 50-50 kind of as like happy and disappointed with their expansions. I could see me backing this, but I see if I back this, I think I might dump my Terraforming Mars set because I just think it's like, it's the same game. So I don't know. It's, and I didn't back the super deluxe version. So I think that eventually you're going to have the super deluxe version out there with people. You're going to have the card game with people. And I think the regular version is going to kind of fade away because it's just going to meet that really weird in between place where it's like not big and cool enough, but also not quick enough. Right. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah, because Terraforming Mars can be bloated at times and a little bit obtuse, but it's still a great game. It's in my top 100. All right, Anthony, so that's the games that we want at the table. Obviously, check all those games out because they will be hitting the table soon, and you might be want to be the first one out there. Anthony, let's talk about the games that did hit the table on the tablet, and we'll let everyone know if those games are a buy, and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play, they should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games are the dreaded burn, and you know what? They're just not worth your time at all. Just burn them because it's cold somewhere in the world and those people need, you know, firewood or something to that effect. All right, Anthony, so what do you have for us this week? All right, yeah, I got a game uh, recommended by a friend, actually, at the local game store here. Super Skill Pinball 4K'd. Okay. That's a, that's a name. <laughs> so this is a, a roll and write designed by Jeff Engelstein from WizKids, and 
it's a, a pinball game. Base game comes with four different tables, quote unquote, that you can play. Uh, and each of them has its own kind of quirks to the rule set. But the basic idea is everybody's going to play the same dice, but you get to choose which die you're going to use. So every turn, somebody will roll two dice and you will choose one of the two dice for yourselves. And based on where your ball is, which is like a little half sphere that looks like a pinball, it looks like they cut a pinball in half and you just put it on your board. You will then move it down one level on the board and mark off one of the spaces based on the die number. So you, you know, all different types of things you could do with that. So the very top, usually it's some kind of bonus you can pick up uh, or special ability you can unlock. The middle often is the bumpers and you can keep doing the bumpers as long as you meet the criteria because you have to do them in a certain order. Uh, you can jump down a little bit lower and there's often some kind of other stuff you can unlock based on like sets that you're trying to collect. And eventually you get down to the flippers and you either flip it back up, which is one of the standard red or yellow flippers, or you can like hold the ball, get some points for that. And eventually, if you run out of anything to do, you can, the ball will drop through. If you match one of the numbers on the side for when the ball drops through, you get a bunch of points. If you don't, you just, the round is over. You move on to round two and you do it all again. <laughs> so you basically, each round lasts as long as you can keep the ball on the table. So different players are going to have different numbers of turns. And there are other ways you can expand it too. You can have a multi-ball. You can um, make it so that the flippers could be either side because as they are, they're red and yellow, which correspond to different parts of the table. This is one of the more intricate roll and writes I've played. And it's not the most intricate, right? I played Roman Roll I reviewed a few months ago. It was very intricate. It was like an hour, hour and a half long game. Didn't like it very much because it felt like it should have just been a board game. <laughs> and why is this a roll and write? I don't know. Uh, this one is different, though. It's a little more intricate. It takes like 30, 35, 40 minutes, something like that. It's not short like a lot of the other ones. Um, you have a lot of variability. So out of the box, you have the Carnival uh, intro table. And there's like a quick rule set that gets you started with that. It's like a page long. There's the Cyber Hack, which is like a cyberpunk type of theme. Um, Dance Fever, which is like a disco theme. And then Dragon Slayer, which is uh, wizards and... and um, sorcery and all that stuff. So like your standard stuff you'd find on old, old pinball machines, right? And each of them has unique rules, right? And there's an expansion coming, I think, later this year that has four more tables. So this is like a thing that they're thinking through. Like, how can we make different ways to play this? And I like it. I don't love it, though. I think what I'm finding in this type of game is I don't want rolling rights that take 45 minutes. It doesn't matter how well they're done. It doesn't matter how interesting the mechanics are. It doesn't matter how many combos you can pull off. They just overstay their welcome at a certain point. And so Roman Roll was a dodge for me. This one's not a dodge. It's a play. But it's definitely not a buy because it just takes a little bit too long to get through. And that's playing it solo, right? And then obviously it shouldn't take any longer playing with other people because you're all picking a die number simultaneously, but you all know it will because there's always going to be at least one person at the table who's thinking a little bit longer. It may not be the same person every time, but there's somebody's going to do it. So I still feel like the only roll and write that takes a little bit longer that I still like is fleet the dice game. This one is good. It's interesting. I'm excited to see what the other tables do. I'm going to hold on to my copy because it's, it was only like $25 and you got the four different tables and all the different rule sets. Uh, it is 
um, dry erase. So you don't have to worry about running out of sheets of paper. Like a lot of these games give you sheets of paper and you're like, well, I'm going to run out of these eventually. So that's no good. Um, it is all dry erase, very colorful, bright boards. So aesthetically, it's pleasing. It looks like they look like pinball tables. It's very well done. It's well designed um, from that perspective. Just the actual overall experience of having sitting down and kind of rolling these dice and re-rolling these dice and re-rolling these dice and marking these things off. It just doesn't give me that feeling of satisfaction from all the various comboing that you can do in some other roll and writes. It's still there. It just takes a little bit longer. And eventually your ball drops anyways, which is never fun. And it does cool stuff too. Like it has a tilt mechanic. You can like say, no, I want a four this round. And you put that in there and you nudge and you can tilt if you're, if the, the resulting roll of the die, um, creates a number that, like, if you say, I want a four and the, you roll a one and a six, the difference between those is a five, you tilt because it's higher than what you picked. That's really cool. It's a clever idea. I love that. But the actual game, it just overstated its welcome for me. So it's a play. I think some people will love this because who cares? <laughs> you know, people want longer games, not shorter games. But for me, I just, I'd rather play something a little bit quicker. I like the, the, I don't know, the hubris behind this. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way, but like the idea that they went for it and they went for it as a roll and write. It wasn't like, hey, let's produce like a $300 or a $100 model that has like all the best components and it's just out of this world, kind of like glass dice or something. Nope. Let's make it as simple and as cheap as possible kind of like again going for that very like pinball wizard 1980s kind of like super bright colorful artwork situation and then it's amazing that a game like this that seems like a straight kids game or a straight family game would take that long is just crazy and I think that in general, I always have a problem with rolling rights because it does feel like just writing up a spreadsheet. Like, oh, okay, and we have four of these, and I do two of those, and three of these, and two of those. So when you look at this game, you're like, oh, cool, colors, and it's all kind of like really hip and exciting. And then you play, and you're like, and then three of these, and two of those, and one of those. And and again, the length, I think the length is, as you mentioned, Anthony, is going to be a killer here. And I'm kind of disappointed by this. But again, I haven't played Fleet the Dice game, but I have not come across a roll and write that I found exceptional. I find them just like average. Like, oh, this is fine. But I, I think they do over, you know, overstay their welcome. And again, here, as you mentioned, the greatest sin is to overstay their welcome with a game that isn't really any kind of like production or value or experience. Yeah, it's funny, too. Like, th this type of game, like, and I know a lot of people are going to listen to this, like, well, I mean, Board Game Geek says this takes 30 minutes. Gancho Clever takes 30 minutes. Welcome to takes 30 minutes. It's, there's something about the flow of the game, though. Like, the reason Welcome to and Gancho Clever are so good is you're comboing your way up. You're building towards something. There's an arc to it. There's a momentum to it. There's a certain number of rounds, right? This game, you're kind of just doing the same thing over and over again until you run out of places to mark off. And there are combos that come out of that, so you, there's better ways to play it. But there's not a lot of ways to manipulate the dice. There's not a lot of ways to you know maneuver things around. There, you don't have as many choices, I think, is, is what it comes down to. And because you have fewer choices and the game takes just as long, if not longer, 
it's not it's just it's bo- not boring it's a strong word but it's just, i don't know you would not like this let's put it that way chris you would there not you like go this. so and i think it's okay um so that's not the most glowing endorsement uh because i do like rolling rights uh and so you know mileage will vary super skill pinball 4k light play all right well going from literally nothing but a drea rice marker and board to the or at least i should say one of the most overproduced games at least of recent memory is rococo deluxe edition this was a recent release it wasn't a kickstarter but Eagle Griffin Games had their own kind of like Kickstarter release. So you had to back it through their site. You had to pay full MSRP. This was a reprinting, a redesign of Rococo that I think believe it was 2013 that came out back in the day. Uh, Rococo has always been one of my favorite games. It's been a game that I've championed from way back when. I love Michael Menzel's artwork. It really matches the Rococo period, this age of opulence, just excess beyond belief. And just some simple artwork on the card, some simple artwork on the board, and it just provides such a wonderful, valuable, beautiful recreation of that time period. So when they announced that they would be re-releasing it with the Jewelry Box expansion that has been out of print for quite some time. I was very excited because, again, I couldn't find the Jewelry Box expansion, and now I know why, because they were not reprinting the Jewelry Box expansion. So one of the really interesting things, and probably another longer discussion for another day that we might need to have, is what are board game producers doing, right? They release these, you know, uber deluxe versions And they don't re-release the expansions or even the base game in some effect. So you can't get the game again or you can't get that expansion. So the reason why I did back this was because it came with the Jewelry Box expansion. Now, beyond that, why I also backed this was because it did come in a solo mode. Now, little did I know that the solo mode was going to be so important during this time period. So... If it wasn't going to be Michael Menzel, whose artwork I love for Rococo and also for Bruges and several other games, it was going to be Ian O'Toole's artwork, which is almost like a complete opposite, a negative in some kind of case, because Michael Menzel's artwork was dark and rich and full of color. Rococo, this new deluxe edition by Ian O'Toole, is bright and white and just, again, opulent, but in a very different way. So you went from a more horizontal board to a vertical board. Oh, the game and the box and everything is pure white. And the components in it are very nice. The production is top-notch. It was quite expensive, of course. But you do get your coins, your metal coins in the game. You do get your fabric bags. And the lace tokens are actually little kind of tokens. And the thread tokens. And you have a little star player metal thimble because it's all about designing these wondrous dresses and suit coats Uh, that people would rent for these grand balls. So as you go throughout the game, the game comes down to a simple mechanic of deck building. And you'll build your deck together based upon what you're able to pick up as far as employees to build more elaborate productions. And you also have your starting cards. So basically what you do is you draw a hand of cards, and then you are forced to play all those cards, but you're actually, in fact, forced to play your whole deck 
before you can get your discard cards back. So the production here is quite good. And as I mentioned before, where now it is a completely different shape. When you look at the new Rococo board, it is much longer instead of that kind of traditional square board. And basically the game plays out identically. We've already talked about Rococo to some length. Again, it's card play, deck building, it's area control, and obviously it's making those decisions of when to build addresses for them to be used at the balls for victory points versus when to be able to sell the dresses for as much money as possible throughout the game. So the game itself gives you a lot of high-quality components, great artwork from Ian O'Toole, and again, as the game goes on, you have a number of different options from selecting employees to picking up different resources in order to make the different dresses and suit coats, in order to be able to build them, in order to place them in different area control sections on the board, to fund decorations. So there's statues, there are fireworks, there's a lot of really fun kind of stuff in the game. And then obviously the most victory points win. The solo version takes that game, keeps it the same, doesn't do anything different. In fact, you can play the Jewelry Box expansion with the solo game, or, of course, you could play it with the actual regular game. And we've already talked about the Jewelry expansion, which primarily brings jewelry into play, and all these, these different journeymen who actually add special cards to your deck that are like super fantastic cards, but you have to pass some examinations. Again, we've covered all that. It just adds more of the same, which is very good. Definitely a worthy kind of expansion. But the solo mode, which is Madame Duberry solo mode, she gets her own deck. In her own deck, you pull out four cards, and then each turn you play a card. That card will tell you exactly what to do, what she's going to be able to get. So maybe she'll be able to produce a dress with no materials, no cost, because she's so rich. Maybe she'll be able to pick up fabric, which will score her victory points at the end of the game. Maybe she'll fund a decoration on the board, or maybe she'll pick up some jewelry, or maybe she'll pick up a journey person or a new employee. So basically the card tells you what to do, and then based upon what the card says or what the card needs to say, it will tell you exactly where to do that thing on the board. So it's not just a sense of a solo mode as far as score the most points as possible then check a chart. You do need to beat the madame throughout the game. So as she score points, you want to go at least one point higher because if you tie with her or go lower, you do not win the game and she wins and she laughs at you for some strange reason. But nonetheless, the solo mode is fun because it does allow you to get a random programming element into the game. It's not so hard as always taking the best choice. Some solo modes will say, take the best thing off the board. This one takes random things off the board. And in case it's not able to do that, it's going to give the Madame just victory points throughout the game. This is a good expansion, especially for somebody who wants to learn the game, who just wants to run through the game, who wants to be able to see all the different possibilities, especially with the Jewelry Box expansion, which does get a little involved. But as far as like a full-fledged kind of thematic, you know, almost like legacy or campaign mode where you really feel like you're really being challenged, it is slightly random, right? If she takes a dress or a suit coat off the board, it should be the best one possible. It shouldn't just be a random one. So you could play through the entire game and not be bothered, or you could be constantly randomly bothered by what she's doing throughout the game. It's a good solo mode. 
it's a solo mode that I would recommend. It's a solo mode that's absolutely positively worth a play. So if you have the game and have not popped out the solo mode, I highly recommend it. If a friend has it, borrow it, because I think it's something that's worth getting played at the table. This super expansion does also include a number of different promo dresses and suit coasts that primarily you had to pick up through Eagle Griffin Games or pick up through just expansions throughout. Those are nice to have in the box, but as I mentioned before in previous episodes, not everything fits in the box. It's very upsetting because this is a deluxe version that was made to hold everything in that one box. This was not stuff that came from the outside. This was stuff that you bought all together in that one box. It was a certain backer level. It wasn't an add-on, and it does not fit in the box properly. You can store it. You can pull out the expansions, and you kind of reorganize it. You can pull out the insert and throw it in the garbage. It's frustrating because it is a lot of great components, and you want to treat it with utmost care because everything is really finely detailed. The artwork from Eonal Tools, fantastic. Rococo is a great game. The Deluxe Edition is an expensive game. If you did want to back it right now, it probably costs you between $125 and $150 now, I guess, at the secondary retail market. So I recommend it as a play. Rococo, the base game, was always a buy for me. This is a, an expensive, expensive proposition because, again, you are buying everything all at once, but you will not be able to play with everything all at once. Your mileage may vary. Obviously, I do recommend the Jewelry Box expansion because, again, it gives you a lot more to the game, and I do recommend that module. So, again, you have to wager, can you get the base game? Great. It doesn't need the expansion. But if you get the expansion, even better. If you want to buy this full version of it, that's completely fine. I did because I like the game so much. But I can't recommend it as a buy because... Honestly, they didn't go far enough to make it deluxe as far as having everything it needs to be played in the game. All the pieces are good, but they're not great. And at this point, we're seeing better productions at this cost level. So again, Rococo Deluxe Edition gets a play along with Solo Mode, which also gets a play as well. All right, yeah. Now I, I don't have much to say about this because Rococo is never my game. Um, I have a original copy of it right here somewhere and it just didn't click for me i do want to play with the jewelry expansion though and i want to try this very good but i don't want to pay 130 dollars to do so so we'll wait until uh we can play yours <laughs> yeah the, the jewelry box does add a lot to the game it does bring in a, an, an extra level of complexity that is not too much but it's great and then obviously you know tools artwork here is just fantastic there's a lot of really great artwork here a lot of great diversity that obviously is not true of the Rococo age, but wondrous that it's actually here in the game because everyone should see themselves represented in the game. So big thumbs up for Eagle Griffin and Ian O'Toole to be able to put all of those people in their proper position and their and their proper recognition. So love that about the game. Love Rococo. A little expensive as far as that's concerned, but again, your miles may vary. All right, Anthony. So that's everything that's going on hitting our table, whether it's super deluxe or whether it is a roll and write. So let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, Anthony is taking us through BGG's hotness. We're talking about the hottest, the greatest, the latest board games that you're all talking about. So if you want to let everyone know what the greatest things are and what they should be picking up, it's on BGG. So, Anthony, with that being said, I will leave it to you, my friend. What is the BGG hotness for 
February 2021. All right, let's dive right in. Uh, so counting backwards, the top 15, we're going to start off at number 15, Stroganov. Stroganov is uh, a new design from Andreas Stedding, um, who most recently did Gugong, but has also worked on Hansa Teutonica and several other very well-known games. And this is the new Game Brewer Kickstarter. So Game Brewer has done a few of these big, expansive, uh, ex- you know, just huge deluxe edition types of things. Uh, Gugong and its expansion are among the most recent of those. Um, Stroganov looks to be in a similar category. Um, beautiful artwork, beautiful presentation. The game itself takes place in 16th century Russia and talks about exploring Siberia and dealing with the Stroganov merchants and Cossack hunters. It's basically a medium weight Euro, which is what Andre Aesthetic is known for now. But thematically very interesting. It's not your typical Euro theme and it's beautiful as ever from Game Brewer. A little bit expensive though. So, you know, we'll see, see how it does. Yeah, they're always really expensive for the weight of their games, and it's really disappointing because I always want their games, but then I'm like, ah, that's like 20% too expensive. Like, ah, I can't do it. I know, and I, I I bought Gugong and the expansion, and I love them, but even that, I'm still like, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to spend this much on this. We'll see. It's got a few days left, so we, we have time. <laughs> Number 14 on the list, Gloomhaven. Yeah, Gloomhaven's here. I don't know. <laughs> every, time, every time we do this list, I'm like, Gloomhaven's going to be on here somewhere. I'm going to say, yeah, Gloomhaven. It's funny because, I don't know, it's Gloomhaven. Uh, there you go, guys. Gloomhaven. Uh, it's, become, it's becoming it's become a running gag, right? That's, that's and Gloomhaven, right? Yeah. I'm running out of funny things to say because it's been there for four years. You know, it's, it's not going away. <laughs> uh, number 13 is also always on the list. But at least it has a reason for it right now, and that's Root. Uh, Root has a new expansion coming out very soon on Kickstarter, sometime in the next few weeks. And it again, it's always on this list, but right now people are also buzzing about new content in the form of mm-hmm. um, the rat and the, the new, I think it's badgers that they're adding to the game. Number 12, Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. So obligatory Gloomhaven joke, insert here, moving on. <laughs> More <laughs> and Frost Haven's coming, and then we'll have more. Oh no! <laughs> oh yes. Uh, all right, number eleven, Hansa Teutonica Big Box. Uh, this released uh, a couple months ago, I believe. I saw it around here locally on, on one of the websites for the local store, mm-hmm. and it's possible this jumped back into the top fifteen because of Stroganov, because Andreas Stedding is in the news uh, for sure. board game right now. Um, Hansa Teutonic is a great game too. So the big box, all the expansions and all the maps is a good deal because it's not even crazy expensive. I think it's only like $50. So definitely something we're checking out. It's a dry, dry game, but it's very good. (laughs) (laughs) Number 10, Lost Ruins of Arnok. This is a game I reviewed back in the fall. I loved it. I gave it a buy. It jumped into my top 100 almost immediately. Uh, It's from designers Elwin and Min from CGE Games. And it's one of a new breed of games that recently has been doing the deck builder plus worker placement mechanism. There's another one on the list. We'll get to in a minute. So it's, in my opinion, the best of those. And I don't, I love this game. I've played it a bunch of solo, so I'm glad to see it still up here. I think it might actually be available. I think I saw it on Amazon the other day for a reasonable price. So I think it's been out of print a lot, but it, it might actually be available at the moment. So maybe that's why it's back on here. 
Next up on the list, number nine, On Mars Alien Invasion Dash, a somewhat cooperative expansion. I love that. <laughs> I love the subtitle they threw in there because it's not just a cooperative expansion. It's a somewhat cooperative expansion. Uh, this is the new expansion for Vitalisertas on Mars. It was originally called Surviving Mars, and it was related to the Surviving Mars video game. I'm not really sure what happened with that, but they've changed it to Alien Invasion, and now it's an episodic, semi-cooperative expansion with four chapters where you're dealing with this alien invasion, presumably in your base on Mars. Uh, so it's got a little sideboard, it's got some extra pieces, you've got little alien meeples, which look amazing, uh, and... The artwork, you know, I love that they just let, you know, tool off the leash. And they're like, make something crazy for the cover. What we get it. <laughs> right. All right. So that is Alien Invasion. I know it's coming to Kickstarter here in the next couple of months, I think. Uh, next up, Terraforming Mars. We just talked about this. Ironically, Ares Expedition is not on the hotness. But Terraforming Mars is because it is still one of the top 10 games of all time on Board Game Geek. So mm -hmm. it is frequently on here. There's new content for Terraforming Mars every six to nine months. So it has stayed on this list for about five years at this point. And uh, well-deserved. Good game. Next up on the list, we have number seven, Canvas. This is a new game um, from Road to Infamy Games and uh, Gate on Games. And it it's a very pretty looking game. I don't really know a ton about it. I remember looking this up a little bit, seeing if we're going to put it into the uh, acquisition disorders, but it's, it's going to be up on Kickstarter and it's an artwork game. You're building these beautiful little paintings. <laughs> I don't know why I forget the word for painting, but uh, it's a game about painting something beautiful on canvas for an art competition. So you're going to collect various art cards, layer them together, build something unique, fairly simple, fairly straightforward, but it looks interesting. And, like a fun light game using like that clear card mechanic. Uh, number six on the list is the other game with the worker placement plus uh, deck building combination, Dune Imperium. I have had a chance to play this once, but not with the full complement of players. The solo version, I was not super impressed with. It just doesn't seem like the kind of game you can do solo. But I do really like the core mechanic of this. And I'm not going to review it until I have a chance to play it with at least three or four people and play it properly, because that seems to be how it's meant to be played. But initial impressions seem very strong to me. It's Dune. It's got like stylized artwork from the upcoming movie that's coming out this fall. So it was meant to release right at the same time. They still released the game early. They pushed back the movie because of COVID. But I don't know. I wouldn't sleep on this. I was actually impressed. I Thought it would be a cheap cash-in. It looks like a cheap cash-in, but the gameplay is actually fairly decent. Um, so speaking of another game that looks like a cheap cash-in, Red Rising from Stonemeyer Games. Um, that's it's a little strong. I shouldn't say cheap cash-in, but it does look like a relatively simple take on this theme from this book series from a few years ago. I'm really excited about it regardless. I don't have my hopes super high because the game doesn't look like it has too much going on for it but i really want it to be good because i do like these books quite a bit it is jamie stegmeyer back at the design chair working on this game um, along with uh, uh someone else in his company there and it should be i know there's some reviews up now which is why it's probably up here so high and uh, i think copies are shipping out to everybody else next month so 
we should have some coverage of this for you in about a month or so. Number four on the list, Hansa Teutonica, not the big box, just the regular version. So again, Andreas Stedding, he's up there because of his new Kickstarter. Uh, number three, Sleeping Gods. This is the newest uh, Ryan Lockett game, which is um, getting into people's hands. So I don't know a ton about this. I I have a weird relationship with Ryan Lockett games. I think they're fantastic looking. I like his artwork quite a bit. I like the me- the mechanisms. I love his willingness to experiment and try new, new and different things. But I don't think I've played any one of his games where I said, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I have to own this. I don't think I have any of his games. I've liked all of them. They're all plays for me, but none of them have been a buy. So I just haven't paid that much attention to this. Now, I know if it's similar to his other recent released games, like Near and Far or Above and Below, we've got some storytelling elements mixed in. Um, I know that the time to play on Board Game Geeks is one hour to 20 hours, so <laughs> something like that, which is indicative to me that there's a story mode. But yeah, people are loving it. It's you know way up there. It's already ranked very highly. It's only been out for a little bit. So keep an eye on that if you're a Ryan Lockett fan. Uh, number two on the list... Tiny Epic Dungeons. So Gamelin Games releases a new Tiny Epic about once a year. I think they're up to eight, and it's been about eight years. So these are all from Scott Alms, and they all take some theme uh, mechanically and kind of remix it into a smaller, tighter version of it. So Tiny Epic Dungeons is a cooperative dungeon crawler for one to four players. So exactly what you'd expect, except comes in a little tuck box and doesn't have all the bells and whistles that you'd get in another type of Kickstarter. So um, this will be on Kickstarter, of course, because all the Tiny Epic games are. You can usually check out the other Tiny Epic games on there. For me, the one I would recommend if you're looking to get into this series in general is Tiny Epic Galaxies. I don't know that I've played another one that really stood out to me. I've heard some good things about the rest. And number one this month, right now, this week, is Great Western Trail. Now, this game is already ranked in the top 10 on Board Game Geek, um, inexplicably. We, we talk about this all the time. Perfectly fine game, but top 10, I don't understand. But they have announced, Eggerspiel has announced a second edition of the game releasing this year, and then two other versions of the game that will remix the rules, the Argentina and New Zealand coming in 2022 and then 2023. So you'll be herding cattle and then other types of cattle and then sheep. I don't know what the mechanical difference here is, but they have, and they did post some information, but I haven't dug in too deep on that. But they have mentioned that the games will be different. They're not just different themes. So they'll be kind of like a Zool style, which Eggerspiel is owned by Plan B. So they have their Century, they have their Azul, and now they have their Great Western Trail, where they're going to release different versions with slight rules tweaks every year. At least they're telling us in advance, right? So you don't just buy one and find out the next year there's another one coming. So... There you have it. That is the top 15 on the hotness right now. All right. So hopefully you found something that you're interested in checking out or backing or getting to the table or hopefully just being able to do what Anthony and I are doing mostly these days, which is lovingly stare at our games from afar and dreams of hoping them getting them to the table relatively soon. But that's not all for BGA. If you would like to hear more of our content, we have new episodes each and every week on our Patreon account, patreon.com slash BGA. There's a tremendous amount of content out there, and if you are able to, back us so that we can provide more stuff for you. 
Again, thank you for all of your support, however you do it. We love to see all of your comments about us popping out all over the place. Again, thank you so much. All right, Anthony. So until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save all of you a seat at the table. Take care, everyone.